Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. The live action adaptation of One Piece is on Netflix, but is it good or is it a piece of sure to disappoint the fans entertainment? I'll let you know right now. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, and this is my review of the first season of One Piece, the much-anticipated and by some people much-feared live-action adaptation of the long-running anime and even longer-running manga series. And before you even start to weigh the good and bad of this show, you have to kind of admire what Netflix did here, because they took something as beloved as One Piece and decided to make a live-action show with a showrunner that is not a big name in entertainment. You have a group of four journeyman directors taking on two episodes each. You have a writing staff that are definitely veteran, but not what you would call prestige entertainment writers. You have a cast with practically zero household name recognition and nothing close to what you would call a bankable star. And into all of this, Netflix invested over $100 million at a per episode cost reportedly higher than both The Mandalorian and Game of Thrones. Some people would say that Netflix did all of this wrong, that you should have just thrown some like stars, some recognizable faces, and a veteran experienced genre team behind the show, and you would have had a surefire hit. And yet One Piece works, and it works because it has the creative vision to do the unconventional, but to commit to it. Of course, it helps when you have 20 years of manga and over 1,000 episodes of animation to fall back on. That's a pretty good proof of concept. But this adaptation process from animated to live action, particularly when it comes to anime, is fraught with peril. There are many fallen comrades along the road of different properties that have tried this. One Piece works because it is what it is, which is over the top and weird and goofy and emotional and violent and dumb all of this without acknowledgement or apology. It's cartoonish, but with an edge, which really isn't that easy. I'm gonna get out of here. Hey, sorry kiddos. I'd love to make things right, but it's time to exit stage left. So the question that a lot of people would have is, what did I know personally about One Piece as I started episode one going into the show? And I will tell you that I knew absolutely nothing about the franchise. I didn't even know what it was about. I've talked about many times on this channel that I am somewhat new to the world of anime. And in the last few years, I've gotten my toe or maybe a couple toes in the water. I've watched some Studio Ghibli films. I watch Attack on Titan. I watch Demon Slayer. I love Demon Slayer the movie. I watched the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen and the movie. I still have to catch up on season two, which is airing right now. I've been catching up on some of the animated classics like Akira, but I am still not what you would call well-versed in anime, and so I knew of One Piece, but I knew nothing about One Piece. 
Now, some people might say that my opinion on this show isn't valid because I don't know anything about One Piece, so who cares what I think about this show? But I think that to make that argument would be to assume that the makers of this live-action adaptation were only trying to court people that had seen the anime or that had read the manga, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I'm sure they knew that many fans of the series, existing fans of the series, would tune in, but I think they were also banking on the fact that there would be some people like me who'd never seen the series that would jump in here with the live action version. And so I think that my opinion is just as valid as somebody who's seen every episode and knows the complete ins and outs of the mythology because I think this show wants to attract both audiences. For me, the only thing pre-existing that I think was useful for me to have was a kind of knowledge of the general feel and tone of anime, and particularly some anime series, and I haven't seen a bunch of them, but I kind of knew the heightened emotions and some of the things that have been consistent across the anime series that I've seen, because that feel is very much present in the live action version, and I think it sort of blunted the impact of seeing so many over-the-top things with real people saying and doing them. But I think it's to this show's credit that they were still able to build a world where I meet a guy named Monkey D. Luffy, and then less than two hours later, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, so this guy Monkey ate the gum gum del fruit and now he can fight the dismembered clown and I don't think that there's anything weird about any of those statements or anything that I just said and let's start with the character of Monkey D. Luffy now I have no basis for comparison here as far as how he's portrayed in live action but I do think that Inyaki Godoy is really walking a tightrope here between a good performance and a bad performance and what I mean by that is that if you were just to watch a clip in a vacuum you might see what he's doing as an actor and say whoa he is way overdoing it. That doesn't feel natural at all. Strong hats! All hands on deck for a cast-off ceremony! But in the context of the show, it works. And it's because, yes, you have this very over-the-top monkey for 85 to 90% of the show's runtime, but every time you think that maybe the performance is getting a little one note, or you're like, oh, can this guy only do one thing? The character gets a beat of anger or sadness. He gets to be discouraged or confident. He shows you another side, and you realize that this is just a character who is almost relentlessly upbeat about everything, but he does still have feelings, and when he's allowed to show those feelings, it makes you understand how rounded out he really is, and understand who he is inside as well. That's not easy to play, and I think that Inyaki Godoy really went for broke here. Either his performance would work, or the show would utterly collapse around him. What kind of a monster are you? This tragic kind. I think the character does work, but I do have to say that the decision to have him act this way and to have the character portrayed this way was simultaneously risky, dumb, smart, and brave. The other Straw Hat Pirates I liked as well, but I do feel like some of the character traits may have been lost in the translation of having to do years worth of setup in eight hours. My favorite of the crew was Roronoa Zoro, played by McKenyu. I didn't really like him at all in Knights of the Zodiac, which came out earlier this year, but this character fits his strengths perfectly. I love the anime character type of the person who's sort of strong and silent, and yet when they speak, it's a very cutting remark or a very humorous remark. It's why I like the character of Captain Levi a lot on Attack on Titan. You really don't fear death, do you? No, I just don't fear you. This is our fight. Right, guys? 
Finally, I get to cut something. But how are we gonna beat Arlon? I laughed at most of Zoro's few lines, but I also really enjoyed things like his fight against Dracul Mihawk, Hawkeyes, because of the emotion and actual suspense involved as they intercut that fight with Zoro's actual backstory and flashbacks to that story. And in general, when it comes to the action scenes, I thought that they were shot well. They didn't make the mistake of trying to make cartoonish fights realistic by shooting them up close and chopping them up and editing. There were lots of wide shots, lots of camera motion and the camera zooming around. I don't know if there was some sort of a drone technology, if they did a lot of that in editing or if it was on some kind of a crane. But I liked the way that they did it because they weren't really trying to hide anything. They're like, yeah, this is a live action cartoon and we're going to let the fights be cartoonish and we're going to show them to you. Again, if that hadn't worked, then I think the show would have looked cheap, but it did work, so the show looks interesting and different. Getting back to the rest of the Straw Hat Pirates, Nami, played by Emily Rudd, had my favorite backstory of any of these characters, and she really came to life in the last couple of episodes. I think that the sort of shady, mysterious front that she had to put up for the first, let's say, three quarters of the season kept her a little one note, but they really brought her character to life in those last couple episodes. So going into season two, I look forward to getting to know the real Nami a little bit more. Jacob Romero Gibson's Usopp was the one character that I imagine is maybe beloved because of the animated show, because there really wasn't a whole lot here for me to grab onto. I guess he was the comic relief, but thus far, he seemed to be the one that was the most extraneous as far as the main pirate crew. And then we have Taz Schuyler's Sanji, who had my second favorite backstory and gets to show off some great fight moves, but I also think this character maybe got a lot of his development pushed to later seasons. Fans of the show, I'm sure, know a lot more than I do, but I I think that that's kind of fun for me, not knowing what comes next. I get to kind of speculate, whereas a lot of people, I'm sure, kind of, you know, sitting back and folding their arms going like, oh, boy, you don't know anything. Yeah, I, I know that I don't, but that's kind of the fun of it. I loved how the show gave us that scene at the end of the finale where we revisit all of their flashbacks and origins, the stuff we've seen this season to show us why they're all willing to set sail together. The most important thing is that I buy that they all love each other, that they're committed to each other, that they've taken their own paths to get to this point. That's what I think the best adaptations are able to do. They're able to take these character relationships that took weeks or months or years of source material to develop and boil it down to the essentials in order to sell it to you in a condensed version. They were able to do that for me. Nami! You are our friend! We are your crew! <laughs> I also like the overall story of this show and the idea of this mythical quest. It's a tale as old as storytelling. We're going to go after this one thing, which in this case is the one piece, but it's all in how it's told. I think this world is really well established for people that are coming in on the ground floor like I am because, as I said, I didn't know anything about anything with One Piece, and now I understand the scope of the world, the Grand Line, and why they want to go there, and the adventures that could be there, the All Blue, and why Sanji wants to get there, and the adventures that you could have there. I understand how big the world is, that we're in one little quarter of the world, that there's three other whole segments. It gives you the sense of scope and scale, and there were so many little things that were kind of details that they didn't really take time to explain, but that I thought made this really unique, like the idea that snails are used for everything. Tell 
telephones, megaphones, speakers. And it's one of those little details that the show doesn't really stop to explain. It's just there and you accept it. I think that's the mistake that a lot of adaptations make, especially when you're tackling a weirder source material. Is they're like, well, for a mainstream audience to buy this, we're going to have to stop and explain why this is. And One Piece is like, no, it's super weird, but it fits into the rest of the story that we're telling. So you're either going to accept that it's super weird, or let's be honest, you're probably not going to like the show. But we're just going to bank on the fact that people who do like the show are going to understand that it's just a weird show. Moving past the Straw Hat Pirates, I also have to tip my hat to the casting directors for the show, Libby Goldstein and Junie Lowry-Johnson. They're Emmy-winning casting directors. They've done shows like Six Feet Under and True Blood, and they cast almost every role in this show perfectly, which is not easy considering that you don't have that fallback of, well, we're going to go to this recognizable star or A-list star to fill in this role. No, they literally had to go out there and find the best actor for each one of these roles out of a sea of pretty much unknown or little known actors. Jeff Ward as Buggy the Clown was a particular standout. The dirty clown thing has been done so many times at this point, but Buggy didn't seem derivative at all. And this was another go-for-broke type performance that was either going to be a career maker or a show killer. And Jeff Ward obviously put his trust in the material and in the show's creative team. I thought that Buggy was a great running villain slash comedic relief, and the very nature of him meant that he could pop up anytime and anywhere, even when you least expected him. He wanted to keep me out of the spotlight. He wanted to keep my star from shining too brightly. I also really liked Morgan Davies as Kobe. I admired his performance in Evil Dead Rise as well earlier this year. Kobe is a character who you could really dislike or who could come off as wishy-washy. He's sort of a wimpy type character, almost the Zenitsu of the show, or the potential to be the Zenitsu of the show. Zenitsu on Demon Slayer took me a very long time to warm up to. I worried if that was going to happen with Kobe, but actually he's a much more complex character than that because he has a will that's stronger than almost anybody else in the show, and he's also devoted to his own dream. He wants to be a great Marine, even if that brings him into conflict with his friends and Luffy in particular. Be a good Marine. Be a good pirate. Craig Fairbrass as Zeph was also a standout. The gruff mentor, another character type that we've seen before, but he played this role so well and it really springs to life after we get that flashback and we understand why Zeph and Sanji had such a close relationship. The old blue. It's real. And if I can't find it, well, then maybe you can. Arlong, Garp, Helmeppo, Shanks, Axan, Morgan, Kuro, all of these characters were distinct and well-acted, and I liked Arlong's eventual emergence as the season's main villain. He was sprinkled in the beginning of the season, so it didn't seem like he came out of nowhere, but it was also a really well-written arc in that all of the storylines in one way or another converged so that the characters were in conflict with Arlong. That way you don't have to have one villain from the beginning of the show all the way to the end of the show, but it doesn't feel like you're setting up somebody new halfway through. And as evil as Arlong was, he also had some dimension due to his hatred of humanity, because of the treatment of the fishmen. If you can get me to take a half-shark, spiky, fish-nosed bad guy seriously and actually make me believe that he has genuine emotion, then I think you're doing your job well as a showrunner. So they bound us with chains. They loathe our presence. So they banned us from their cities. <sighs> 
even though I haven't watched a lot of anime, another thing that I have gotten used to as a kind of trope or recurring thing is the use of flashback, and particularly when you use a flashback to inform us about a character that we already know, and the fact that these flashbacks are usually very high stakes, high drama, very emotional, and that was the case with all of our main characters, pretty much. The actors they got to play the younger versions of the main characters were all really outstanding young actors. Each of them had to have tragedy after tragedy befall them, parents killed, starving on a rock, friends dying, but they were able to lay the groundwork for the older versions in a way that pays off who they are. Generally, I was surprised by how much I liked One Piece, given how specific it appears to be to the source material. I'd have thought that I might have felt left behind, but I really don't feel like I am. Of course, I am massively behind when it comes to what happens next in the story, but I'm also curious about what lies ahead. What's going on with that river that's going up into the mountains, and what sort of adventures are they going to have on their journey to the Grand Line? Who's this guy that's smoking two cigars that it seems like they're setting up to be the major villain for season two and perhaps beyond? One Piece fans are, I'm sure, yelling answers to those questions at the screen, but it kind of reminds me of when I watched Game of Thrones before I had read the books, and so, you know, we're all sitting there watching the TV show, and the Game of Thrones fans are sitting back going like, ah, see, I know the answer to that, but the great thing about that show was they were kind of in on the fun, and they didn't jump in and spoil everything, and I hope that that hasn't been left to a different era. I hope that the One Piece fans that are out there and know everything will let the fans of this show who don't know everything still enjoy it and maybe speculate about what's coming and just live in the satisfaction that we're in for this great surprise that's coming around the corner. I am curious about what the long-term goal or vision for this show is. Is it going to be a primer for the anime series and the manga, only adapting major chunks of the storyline? Of course, the actual storyline itself is still not complete, though from what I've read, it's anticipated to be complete in the next three or four or five years. And so, you know, I don't think it's feasible to think that this show is going to be on the air for 30 years, but will it be able to do what really Game of Thrones didn't do, which is to start an adaptation while the storyline is running, and by the time you end that storyline, the main storyline is also over and you can adapt the story in live action from beginning to end. It's going to be a major question, I think, for fans of all forms of One Piece as the show continues. And this is assuming, of course, that it does continue on to a season two. One Piece has been critically successful from what I can tell. I don't know what the viewing numbers are. Those will start trickling in next week. But should this hit a good note with fans and critics and bring strong viewership, then I hope that Netflix will continue to invest in this adaptation adaptation, and it seems like it's going to be a very ambitious adaptation. But the one thing that I don't want Netflix to do, if the show is a success, is to start playing it safe. Because I honestly think that one of the only reasons that this show is good is that it doesn't play it safe. Is that it is risky, and I hope that it continues to be risky, because there's so many other things that you can point to as an example of saying, well, here was a great unique property, and it got so watered down and corporatized that by the time it made it to the viewership, well, the people that knew it didn't recognize it, and the people that didn't know it didn't think that it was distinctive enough to really buy into. I hope that doesn't become the case with this. Let One Piece stay weird, like Portland. Keep One Piece weird. I also think the show has a very important place in the fandom for One Piece because not everybody can commit to watching 1,000 episodes of anime. Not everybody can commit to reading 
20, 30 plus years of manga, but there are people out there who can commit to eight to 10 episodes of a show once a year, or maybe once every two years. And I think that that's where I'm gonna fall. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to sit down and watch all of One Piece in its animated form, but I'm certainly looking forward to the next chapter of the show in live action. And hopefully if the quality keeps up, a few more seasons beyond. So those are my thoughts on One Piece. What did you think? Were you a newcomer to One Piece or did you know every single thing that was going to happen in this story and you could only spot the differences? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching. Stay tuned right here on the channel. Tomorrow, I will have my preview of what's coming out this week in theaters and on streaming and on broadcast TV. Then probably on Wednesday, I will have charts with Dan. It'll be up a day later because of the Labor Day weekend holiday here in the United States. And then throughout the week, I'll have movie news reviews views, box office, you know what to expect here on the channel. Thank you so much for spending part of your day here with me. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.